In this episode of Exit Point, we talk to Marcel Gieser. He is a professional paraglider pilot, avid base jumper, and president of the Swiss Base Association. We talked to Marcel about the history of jumping in Lauterbrunnen and some of the efforts they have implemented to preserve this epic site for jumpers. This is a great episode if you're planning on making your first trip to the valley and don't want to be a kook. With that, let's get Marcel on the track. So Marcel, could you tell us what people should know when they come to Switzerland uh, to be more responsible base jumpers and members of our community? Yeah, um, first of all, it's really good if people check the uh, SBA website when they come to Switzerland, before they come to Switzerland or when they arrived here. The website is getting updated regularly, so all the information is pretty much there. Then we would kindly ask people to fill out the registration form and leave an emergency contact, preferably a family member. Um, we don't want to expect the worst, but if it comes to the worst, it's so helpful to, um, to just know who to contact. That the police officers, they have direct access to our database in Wallenstadt and also in Lauterbrunnen, and it makes their lives a lot easier. Then, if you're a kind person, uh, please pay for your landing cards to uh, support the local farmers and our work. And then maybe the next step would be to download the file with all the exits. It's on exit points on the website. There you can pretty much find all the rules. You can download it on your smartphone and have always access to it. Okay. Then um, also a smart step would be to become a Riga member. Um, it's cost you only 40 bucks and it's pretty much covering for the helicopter rescue. So maybe we can talk about the Riga later, but um, that's also a, a smart thing to do. Maybe also uh, save the number of air glaciers. So you have the number ready when you're standing at the exit points. Okay. Can we start with uh, your first question there or your first uh, point? I'm sure that you've had to uh, be a bit of a detective in finding people's contact information when, you know, the worst case scenario happens. Do you have any stories or, or things that come up right away about like some uh, the kind of effort that's gone in to help find people's contact information? Um, to be honest, so far I was lucky. Um all the people that have died in uh, Switzerland, they signed up, they they left an emergency contact. And so far, since I'm in the in the board of the SBA, I never had a problem. Um, even if people don't want to pay for the landing card, I would still ask them to leave an emergency contact. They can choose offline as a payment option. I mean, it would be nice if they bought the landing card, but it's so nice to have an emergency contact. And people sometimes ask, why do I have to sign up every year? It's also because we want you to update your emergency contact. Yeah, and a quick note on emergency contacts, because I have had to deal with that before in Switzerland. And if you leave your emergency contact as your jumping buddy who's in country, that is like literally worthless. Like what the problems that need to be solved are, are getting in touch with your family and like arranging transport of a body and all of this other stuff that requires like, you know, actual emergency contact info from somebody that is stateside, that is part of your family, that has the ability to make decisions for your remains and for your equipment and for your belongings. Good point. Yeah, you, you, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, 
the police has to contact the family. So they they are not allowed to contact the girlfriends, you know, or somebody else. They need to contact the family. So it's always best to leave a family member as a contact. Yeah, and it just it helps speed up the process. You know, it's like uh, it's just one detail on a mountain of other details. And, uh, you know, having been involved with fatality accidents personally, it's it's a really, really long day and even goes into the night sometimes. And the more you have your affairs in order and ready to go, the less difficult you make it for your friends and loved ones, period. Yeah. And I also, I really liked what you said, Matt, on, on one of the episodes of your podcast. You said, base jumping itself is not selfish, but not thinking about the consequences is, if I got you yeah. right there. You and got me 100% right. I couldn't agree more. You know, um, um, I, I personally, I, I have a will, you know, I, I told my girlfriend what I want to have for my funeral. I talked to my parents. I have money so they, they can pay for the funeral, everything. It just makes everyone's life so much easier. It's a bit selfish to say, yeah, you know, when I die, I'm dead. You know, my friends can decide what, what they want to do for my funeral. Well, if you die, you leave a huge mess behind. And it's just selfish to just go and leave all the questions behind. So try to organize just a few basic things, you know. You don't have to go into all the details, but just the basic stuff you should uh, figure out. So now uh, the second one was uh, Riga. Uh, so can you repeat how much How much does that cost? 40, 40 francs? So it's since a long time, it's been, it's been 40 francs, yeah. And but some people have a wrong understanding what Rega does or what what it is or what that money does. It's a it's a patronage. So you're paying forty francs and you're supporting Rega. But when you have an accident and they pick you up somewhere, they're gonna try to get the money from your insurance company. So in Switzerland, for example, we all have, um, like um, when the helicopter picks you up somewhere. That's that's somewhere included in your normal health insurance, health insurance, or even your employer pays for it. Um, and then Rega actually doesn't have to cover anything. It's your insurance company which pays. But if you come from a from a from another country, I don't know how the United States, how how what kind of insurances you have in the United States, for example. If somebody has nothing, so if there is no insurance company paying for it, then Rega at the end they would cover for all the costs. Just to pop in on that, uh, the insurance state side has changed over the years. Um, back in uh, the late 2000s, 2010s, um, a lot of travel insurance companies covered base jumping specifically in their um, uh, action items. Um, a couple of those countries or companies were Nomad Venture and uh, Global Rescue. Uh, recently, I think um, those have been taken off several of those uh, line items. So you got to do some research to find the correct travel insurance. I think Global Rescue still uh, does do helicopter insurance, though. Uh, you'd have to call them first, and then they would contract through Riga to send a helicopter to you. Uh, so different number, but same uh, same type of thing. 
I'm by no means an insurance adjuster, but one thing that's a it's a key point in in talking about insurance is notifying your insurance right away. Uh, I, I know some friends who have been in an accident didn't contact them within the specific time period that was required, and they were left high and dry just because they didn't notify them in time. So yeah, that's a super important detail, uh, Matt. Do you have a specific insurance besides uh, the one that you just mentioned that you could recommend to other people that are coming to Europe for base jumping? I, I just carry Global Rescue now. Okay. Um, I used to carry the uh, Nomad policy, but since it stopped covering base jumping specifically, um, I, I haven't picked it up. And other than that, I just roll on my, um, you know, my state-sponsored insurance, which is crap, but... Like basically, like I have Global Rescue in order to get me home, and then uh, my regular insurance takes over from there. Okay. Speaking of Maybe insurance, if, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I just wanted to add one thing about Rega. Um, sometimes people forget how much how 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 much how expensive it is to to just get to a body by helicopter. Um, when uh, Lance died in Wallenstadt last year, um, nobody really knew where he was, right? So he was jumping by himself. He didn't leave a message. So the, the helicopter had to look for him for quite some time. And when a helicopter flies, every minute just costs so much, costs a fortune. So it's really, really worth getting, uh, becoming a Riga member. Then at least the family doesn't have to pay for that as well. Yeah, astronomical prices. Speaking of insurance, uh, obviously not the sexiest topic, but you know something that we all need to talk about. Uh, you guys just recently lost your third-party insurance agreement with Generali. Can you tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about that? Yeah, that that wasn't a nice move. Um, on the other hand, it was not didn't come as a surprise. Um, Generali cancelled the contract with the Swiss Paragliding Association and then we knew maybe they would change or cancel our contract as well and then finally they did but still on very short notice and I did a dozen I did I spent hours on the phone trying to get a new partner but it was impossible apparently Generali just doesn't want to work or be with aerial sports anymore and unfortunately, we cannot offer anything for base jumpers anymore. So every person individually has to find an insurance company which covers for a third party, covers as a third party insurance. And just for the Swiss jumpers or people who live in Switzerland, that's uh, Mobiliar or Zurich. By, yeah, by my knowledge, that's the only insurance companies in Switzerland which cover for base jumping. Can you explain to us what a third-party insurance is? So every damage to a third party, basically. So when when you have an accident as a base jumper and you break your leg, that's your accident insurance, which covers, right? And But if you, let's say you have a line twist and you land on a car, you do damage to a car, to a house, if you... If you touch power lines and the cable car provider has to stop the cable car. So all that stuff, every damage to a third party that that's getting covered by a third party insurance. 
So this is something that's actually happened. Huh? Can you tell us the story about someone crashing into power lines? It, it actually happened a couple of times. Um, I was only present when it happened to an American jumper who pulled low because he wanted to make it just, he jumped low ultimate in Lauterbrunnen and he just wanted to make it over the power lines. And then it, it, it's tricky, you know, it's tricky when you rise, watch in front and and it's like your reference point is ahead of you, but the center of your body points to a different uh, location. So when he pitched, he was just above the power lines and sniveled into it. And by by miracle, he's, he, he was unhurt, but there was a fireball and the whole valley of Lauterbrunn oh, wow. didn't have electricity anymore. <laughs> and on the same day, there was like a sports event, like a big one. And the train didn't go anymore. And so there was just, the power went down in the whole place. And um, it would have cost him a fortune, but he was well, he had a good insurance. So the insurance company covered for it. Well, that jumper has been surviving on quite a few miracles. And uh, yeah, but luckily he's a, he's a smart guy and was uh, well covered for that because he'd still be paying that off. Matt, you know about a specific detail uh, instance, don't you? Yeah, there's um, another jumper, um, San Diego wingsuiter, uh, that went in, um, I think, uh, jumping Yellow Ocean in a giant wingsuit. It was his first wingsuit jump uh, out there, and that's just not a great exit to be wingsuiting off of in general. Um, He didn't buy a landing card, he didn't buy insurance, and then he flew directly into power lines, no pole, took out the power to the entire town. And uh, I think it ended up costing to the tune of like $60,000 to like get the power back online. And because like it was such a slap in the face that he hadn't like bought the insurance, the, the town was just like up in arms. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, who are these people? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's, uh, I think, falls in that bracket of selfish that uh, we defined a little bit earlier. Yeah, don't be that guy or girl. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to read it, there's uh, the base fatality. I think he's base fatality number 220. Yeah. But that, talking about power lines, the good news is that those power lines are going to go underground soon. Um, maybe you have seen my post from today that the shield zone bond, the cable car, is building a new one and um, it's going to go directly from Stackelberg from the base landing field up to Murren. So it's not going to stop anymore in Gimmelwald. But for all the Gimmelwald lovers, Gimmelwald will stay. The cable car, the old one is going to stay there. So people still live in Gimmelwald. So the cable car will still go up to Gimmelwald. But the, the normal one will go from Stackelberg up to Murren. And in the process, in the constru- during the construction, they're going to take the power lines and put them underground. So hopefully no more fatalities with power lines in Lauterbrunn. Wow, that's good news. And, um, you know, while we're talking about insurance, there is one thing that I wanted people to be aware of, and uh, it's that you can get third-party insurance for base jumping in Switzerland, uh, but it's kind of like a, a roundabout sort of way. Uh, Skydive or Alps Skydive in Verbier is offering third-party insurance uh if you do a jump with them, they somehow were able to, uh, you know, secure this third-party insurance. 
And honestly, I think it's a really great way to get tuned up before you you jump. Uh, a lot of Americans and uh, people coming from overseas don't often have the time to practice jumping with a single parachute system, you know, because of legal reasons uh, from aircraft and uh, sky Alp skydive. Uh, you can have a variety of different altitudes that you jump from. You can just do a tracking jump and uh, you can just do like a hop and pop even. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great way to start your trip and get that third party insurance. So uh, yeah, we'll uh, include a link to them. And personally, uh, you know, I've been there quite a few times and uh, I love it over there. So, you know, just another amazingly beautiful town in Switzerland to visit. All right. So moving on, uh, you know, I just before we got on here, I was looking at your website and man, it is freaking gorgeous. And I think a lot of this is is your work, too. And I see a lot of credits for the photography is, is, is yours. And uh, man, what a nice job you've done. Well, I, I have to give the credits. Um, I have to stop you right there because um, it was Adrian, our friend Adrian, who built the website, Adrian Thomas. Um, Super lovely guy. Um, he used to work for Google. He's he's a graphic designer, and it was one of those miracle moments um, when when I became the new president. I, I I wasn't happy with the SBA website, and I wanted to do a new one. And I was doing some research, and I saw that Wix was maybe a, a good thing to work with. And then I started to build a website myself. But as I said, I'm. I'm not a graphic designer. I have no education, whatever. So I gave up after spending maybe 50 hours. I gave up. I was useless. And then, <laughs> and then by pure coincidence, Adrian, I didn't know him. He texted me and he said, hey, I'm a base jumper. I'm a new base jumper and I'm a graphic designer as well. If you ever need help, don't hesitate to contact me. And I was like, are you are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> I need help. I need help. Uh, what about what about building a new website? And he said, yeah, 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 I can do that. I did that for Uber already. And I was like, for whom? For Uber? So wow, yeah, wow, I, okay. I I knew that was that was the right guy. So he sat down, he made all the graphic work, and I was just feeding it with all the, the information and um, some photographs as well. But a huge, huge uh, thank you to Adrian for for doing that for us and. All he asked for, no, he didn't even ask for anything. We just, we, we wanted to give him something, but we have very small financial means. So we just uh, bought the one power for him. He was stoked and we're still loving the website and he's already thinking about building a new one. So that's how amazing he is. Right on. Well, thank you, Adrian. Can we start with the landing card? Because this has been a, a big, big deal for jumping in Lauterbrunnen. It's uh, 40 francs again, right? Yeah. Um, if you like history, because I, I really like history. So Yeah, please. The Swiss Space Association was founded in 2007 by Michi Schweri and uh, Moritz um, um, Schellenberg. And then a year later, they started to sell landing cards for 20 francs. Then in 2011, they raised the price to 25 and then it stayed for a long time, 25. And then when I came and I wanted more money, I asked for 40. No, no, I, I just knew that we needed a lot of money to build the website, to um, do all the exit boards, posters, pull-up codes, everything I wanted to do needed money. 
And um, I thought it's better to raise the price once and leave it for a long time instead of going up step by step, you know. And so the key element with the landing card originated with the relationship between the SBA and the farmers or people that owned land that we land on. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the history behind that and how it's evolved? In the beginning, it's always easy. You know, when a jumper finds an exit point, he opens it, he gives a name to the place, then he's going to take his best friend. He says, hey, um, look, I found this amazing place. Do you want to go and jump there? So his best friend jumps there. His best friend says, hey, can I bring my best friend as well? And then it gets bigger and bigger. In the 90s, Lauterbrunnen was a very quiet place and there was base jumping, but there was very little. A lot of local jumpers with people were jumping there and most of them knew the farmers, you know, so they would land and go to the farmer and ask him in Swiss German, is everything okay? And the farmer would say, yeah, 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 it's everything okay. They would sometimes bring a bottle of wine and and the peace, the peace was there, you know, nobody was stressed, nobody was, no, nobody was getting angry. But then in the 2000, in the years of 2000, base jumping became bigger and more international. So Lauterbrunnen became one of the prime places for uh, base jumping. And then all of a sudden more people came and many of them wouldn't speak Swiss German, Swiss German, obviously. And then the farmer would maybe say something like, hey, why did you land in the high grass? Why didn't you land over there? But the jumper didn't understand and maybe he just walked away you know he was like yeah what does this old man want from me and then the problem started to the problem started in lauterbrunnen and it was in my opinion a really really good idea of uh, michi and moritz to found an association and to start selling landing cards so the farmers stay happy they get compensated for the for the damage to the land and the jumpers can keep jumping because if the jumpers, if sorry, if the if the landowners, if the farmers would meet and say, you know what, we we're not going to allow any landings anymore in Lauterbrunnen, that would that would be the end of base jumping. I just wanted to add in a quick note uh, about cultures, and you know, coming from the United States, a lot of people assume that we're coming to this small town that needs our tourism. And that is unequivocally, categorically false. <laughs> the Lauterbrunnen Valley does not need uh, the tourism dollars, especially not from, you know, the small subset subculture of base jumping. And when we look at like impact, uh, base jumping is a lot more impactful than anything else. And so I think it's pun intended necessary. Yeah, really? Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I mean, people have like gone in on these farmers. Land. Like there's one farmer that lives below, um, uh, Via Ferrata where multiple people have gone in on his property. You know, this is like a person that's grown up, you know, passed down family farm, you know, very peaceful valley and where base jumping didn't even exist. And then all of a sudden, like in the modern age, there are people like slamming into his, his land and he's the one that's got to clean up that body. It's like, anyway, back to the point. The point is that, you know, we really have to go over there understanding that we are guests in these people's homes and that they don't need us at all. And they're doing us an incredibly huge favor in allowing us to land on their property, doing something that's radically dangerous that they know 
is going to not work out. Like while it might like everyone's trip from the United States, like a lot of people's trips might work out perfectly and you can be an entire lifetime, you know, jumping in the valley. It is unequivocal and certain that one of those farmers is going to have to deal with somebody going in on their property. And so like, well, you can say like, oh, well, it's not going to be me. It's like, all right, who cares though? Like somebody is going to be impacting on that person's ground and like, please don't make it you, but also please understand that like they are dealing with much more than, um, than we could even ask. And it's, it's a huge favor that they do. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Base jumpers are not the best tourists, but they're still better than those big Asian groups that drive into the valley. They go to the Shilton Kibaka station, go up the mountain, stay half an hour, get down again and leave the valley. If you, if you talk to local people, they like base jumpers still more because at least they're spending some nights there. They go to the Imroar, they stay at the Hona pub, they drink, they eat, they go to the, to the supermarket. You know, it's not the most, it's not the richest tourists. They don't leave the most money in Lauterbrunnen, but they're not the worst. And, And the farmer, the land you talked about uh, below Via Ferrata, that's actually the land of the Shilton cable car. So the farmer who works on that field and who is not a big fan of base jumping, he's, um, he's just cultivating the land, but he's uh -huh. not owning the land. And yeah, and that guy, uh, by the way, he agreed on getting money from the Swiss Space Association. So he's not our Perfect. enemy anymore. Wow, that's a huge <laughs> so, uh, tide yeah, change because so, that guy has yeah. been a dick. <laughs> yeah, and and um, it, it took me all my diplomatic skills and because I had a strategy, I had a plan and it's a miracle. It just worked out perfectly. And I wouldn't say he loves space jumping now, but he's fine with it and he's getting his money and hopefully he's not um, uh, giving any angry interviews anymore to Swiss journalists in the future. Yeah. You know, speaking of money, because I think that this is a detail that I think most people who are not from, uh, you know, agricultural areas understand. And I had a massive reminder about this recently when I did a, a video shoot and I did some wingsuiting for this video. And uh, these guys who came from the Netherlands, you know, I, I can't remember what city they're from. They, they rolled in there and they ended up driving, you know, their, their, their truck onto a farmer's land and flattening, you know, not only damaging the soil, but flattening a ton of grass. And the farmer was pissed and rightly so. Uh, could you explain a little bit about grass and, you know, what it actually means? To, the, yeah, the I mean, like, grass. this is this is real money for these people. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a clash of civilizations, clash of cultures, you know, in Lauterbrunnen, the local people, they have been very poor for a long, long, long time. I mean, why would you live there? Right. I mean. Obviously, it's beautiful, but there was nothing. If you watch photographs from a hundred years ago, Lauterbrunnen didn't change much. You know, it's um, and and that's the beauty of Lauterbrunnen. That's why I love it so much because it doesn't change so much. And the local farmers, they have been, I mean, they have been suffering for centuries because there was nothing. 
they had, they had a few cows, you know, they had their grass, but nothing else. There was no tourism. Nobody came to the valley. No street was leading up there. And then with the tourism, also base jumping came to the valley. And, and imagine you're a, a small farmer, Swiss farmer, and you had no money in the past. And, and the grass is money to you because you need every square inch of it, of, of, of your land. You need to feed the cows. And then a stupid base jumper comes and just damages all your land and laughs and shouts and doesn't even understand you when you shout back at him. <laughs> Obviously, it makes him mad. He doesn't understand why you're jumping off cliffs, you know. He, once was farmer, once said in a documentary that he was struggling to make it through the war, not because of fighting, but just because Switzerland was also suffering because of there was not enough food, you know. And he said, life is so precious. Why would somebody risk his life for just jumping off a mountain? For him, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, in another like more specific detail I was, I was looking for is the actual, what actually happens when we flatten the grass is they have to get off of their tractor and uh, they have to manipulate the soil so that their tractor can pass over it without damaging the soil more. So while it might just be a couple of footsteps and some tall grass, and you're like, oh, whatever, it'll just grow back. It actually is a real big pain in their ass. So, um, you know, I didn't know this right away. I learned it from living in the Alps. And uh, I think a lot of people out there might just think, oh, you know, whatever, it's grass. It's grass, right? Like, what's the big deal? <laughs> All right. Well, we talked about grass maybe enough. Um <laughs> 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 no but but it's you know it's it, it's a question of respect you know um what i learned about communicating with swiss farmers is they they want to be respected you know it's not all about money obviously it's good that they that they're getting money and it's it's uh it was a really good genius idea to sell land to start selling landing cuts but it's also they want to be heard and they want to be respected. And sometimes if you just go and communicate, if you just talk to them, if you apologize, sometimes base jump is too wrong in the valley and they bring a bottle of wine and then everything is fixed, you know? Just, um, just try to be respectful and if you think you did wrong, ask, you know? Or um, you can also email us and say, listen, this farmer came and, and if you understood what he said, you can talk to us and we can try and fix it. It's all about communication. Great. So uh, speaking of respect and, and some serious consequences, uh, let's talk about Air Glacier and the way that people should communicate with them. That's a, that's a big topic. Um, I mean... Every base jumper knows or should know that the airspace around the heli base of air glaciers is closed, right? So it's a radius of 2.5 kilometers. Um, maybe you can translate to Americans what that would be in miles. Oof. I'll, I'll look it up while you guys are keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So, so by Swiss aviation law, a, the, um, a heliport has a closed airspace by the radius of 2.5 kilometers. If there is an airport, it's five kilometers. Air glaciers could say, you know what? We don't like base jumping, so um, it's just closed. 
the paragliders are not allowed to enter, you are not allowed to enter. That would eliminate most of the jumps in Lauterbrunnen. We could still jump uh, via Ferrata, we could still jump the ultimate Skimmelwald, but that's, that, would, that would be it. No other jumps would be allowed anymore. That is one so and a half miles. miles. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Gotcha. So, air glaciers, they have nothing against base jumping. Nothing. They even think that our sport is quite amazing and what we do is, is, is amazing. And they want us to keep having fun. They just ask us to please inform them before we jump. So we have a list with all the jumps where we have to call air glaciers and not 10 minutes before the jump, but latest uh, two minutes before the jump. So, so le let's take high nose. Um, you should call air glaciers when you're fully dressed up, okay? Um, you should have your phone in your hands. You, you should have the helmet on your head, goggles ready, suit closed. And then you call. And then a nice lady from the office will, will pick up your call. And she's she she's gonna she's gonna say yeah airspace is clear you can jump or she's gonna say oh no wait a helicopter is on the way back please wait until it's landed as soon as it's landed you can jump usually that's not a problem at all usually you can jump immediately sometimes you have you have to wait a couple of minutes very rarely you have to wait ten minutes fifteen minutes it depends on the day it depends on how much work they have airglaciers they have specific um, flying routes so they cannot just fly wherever they want because of noise Lauterbrunn is a super small place so they have by the Federal Office of Civil Aviation they have very specific flying routes and they have to stick to them and one of them goes from Staubach goes towards the nose exits and then turns left and goes back to the heli base so if you jump high nose and you go far left without calling there is a big, big chance you're going to see a helicopter on your way. So uh, one quick note about calling. Uh, if you're coming from a different country um, and you're like pretty poor, which a lot of us are when we're trying to make our first trip and we're scratching. And so uh, we're looking at like, you know, international cell phone plans from the States. Those are really expensive and generally don't give you very much, you know, a couple text messages and a couple calls. But if you fly into like a major hub international airport, those airports will have SIM cards uh, available at the airport. So you can just go into like one of the cell phone shops and get a SIM card that works for your cell phone that is on an international uh, cell and data plan. And then you pretty much pay them like, I think it's like 40 to $60. You can split it between your group. Um, and then somebody's got a cell phone that works in country rather than like relying on being with somebody that's a local or, you know, just looking around and going, well, I don't see any helicopters. I think we can not call them this time. It's like, dude, just, just get one of those SIM cards. It's, it's going to help you not only for, for the, the <laughs> helicopter, but also if you get into a sticky situation, like, you know, it's nice to have communication with, <laughs> with the country that you're in. <laughs> Post office, right? Post office as well has SIM cards. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're not asking for much. You know, it's um, it's a privilege that they let us jump. It's quite amazing. I, I, I don't think you could jump in the United States or in Israel or whatever into a closed airspace <laughs> with a wingsuit. I think it's quite unique that they let us jump. 
and and again we just have to be respectful and call them before that's all they ask for it's not much and please do not fly over the heliports um do not land there they don't like that a helicopter can can any seconds can take off even if it's standing still maybe the pilot is already in sight and by the time you fly there you get there maybe it's already in the air and it would only take one fatal collision and base jumping is history yeah it's really difficult to see uh, vertically from inside of a helicopter even in the pilot seat and uh, one interaction between those blades and a parachute a person anything and uh, everyone on that uh, ship and uh, the jumper will die and then you will have killed base jumping in the valley or in switzerland in general speaking of which uh, as you were stepping in as SBA president, uh, 2019, there was a vote. Some politicians in Switzerland brought up the idea of banning base jumping in Switzerland. And what I think a lot of people don't quite understand is that, uh, you know, Switzerland is a direct democracy. So they can put a vote to bill just like that and change everything. Uh, with in a matter of one election cycle, uh, this is uh, something that's very difficult for most other countries to understand. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, is the public supporting it? Is this something that was just sort of like outlandish? Is is base jumping? You know, because I've been base jumping in Lauterbrunnen for over ten years now, and uh, on and off, of course. You know, like I live in France and I have the local cliffs, but. Since day one, it was always like, yeah, at any minute, Lauterbrunnen could, could close. Is this a giant bluff? Is it here for good? Or could this just be voted close any day? That was a crazy story, though. I, I rem remember it so well. I came back from Portugal from a skydiving trip. And I get into the train and I open my phone and I had dozens of WhatsApp messages and missed calls. I was like, what is happening here? You know, um, who's looking for me? You know, and then, and then I saw, oh my God, uh, three politicians, leftist, pol leftist politicians, they asked the federal council, why don't we ban base jumping in Switzerland? So, it's the Swiss poli yeah, Swiss politics are quite um, complicated. But um, basically, if you're um, if you're in the parliament. You can ask the federal council, which is the highest, the highest um, position in politics. You can ask them questions, random questions, can be whatever. And those uh, three persons, they asked, why don't we ban uh, base jumping in Switzerland? Because there are fatalities every year in Lauterbrunn and the school kids, they walk to school and regularly they see dead bodies on the way. And it was, it was ludicrous. Like, absolutely ridiculous and i still don't know how they came up with it um because one of those that the main politician who signed that um that paper she was not even up for um elections so she was anyway stepping out of the game and it, i i don't understand why she made such a huge mess be, before she left but anyways the next day I go back to work to tandem flying and I get a phone call every 15 minutes from journalists. So every journalist in Switzerland wanted to interview me and they, they, 
they ask millions of questions and I realize there is only way on the on only one way to handle the situation and it is to write the statement, right? Something written. Because I'm not I'm not a professional. I cannot talk to journalists and give straightaway answers and they might twist my words. It's very difficult. You you know better than me. It's really difficult to work with uh, journalists who have maybe not the best image of our sport. So I, I sat down, I wrote a paper, I talked to all the other board members. We agreed on, on that statement. And then every phone call I got from a journalist was just answered by, here is the statement, please have a read. If you have any further questions, you can contact us again. Then uh, we followed uh, social media uh, to see how the public in Switzerland reacts to that to that um, question to the federal council. And luckily there was pretty much no support. Um, everything I saw on the internet was like, yeah, but if you if you want to ban base jumping, then you have to ban rock climbing as well and all other activities in the mountains. And anyways, I mean, yeah, there are fatalities in base jumping, but in rock climbing, there is much more. So why should you ban it, you know? Then the next, um, so the federal council, they had to answer that question and they, we contacted the Federal Office of Civil Aviation. We sent a statement to them and they pretty much copy pasted it. So, well, not the whole thing, but they, they took a lot of our statements and the lawyer was just, um, he was adding that, for example, in the United States, in Yosemite, it's illegal to jump and that doesn't mean that accidents don't happen. On the contrary, maybe more accidents happen because it's illegal. And you can also, you can't put a police officer at every single exit point in Lauterbrunnen or in Switzerland. It's not possible. So they just answered very quickly, no, it's not possible. And the whole thing was over. That's interesting that you bring up Yosemite because it kind of segues into one of the questions that I've had. Um, you know, in the United States, uh, we have basically taken advantage of the areas that would be amazing base jumping locations to the point where, uh, you know, municipal municipalities and the, and the government have decided to make it illegal. And there's also uh, kind of an ironic uh, fear about associating in the United States. No one wants an association because they're afraid that it's going to gain too much power or make some rules and they don't want to be told what to do. Um, which leaves us without anybody advocating for uh, access to these areas. And so they remain closed and then people go and do protest jumps uh, and then fuck shit up more. And then, you know, we get even farther down the train of them being illegal. And uh, I'm kind of wondering, like, you know, can you speak to uh, some of these fears and give us some insights as to how, like, the Swiss culture sees the association and spot i'm talking specifically base jumping culture like so, how do the base yeah. jumpers you know yeah yeah it, it's interesting because some people think that uh, the swiss society is is quite conservative and and maybe it is in many ways but um what's what swiss people really like is personal individual freedom they they want to go and and shoot at the shooting range and you know <laughs> No, I mean Swiss people. They they don't like they don't like when you forbid something. They don't want they they actually don't like rules so much. So, for example, 
In Switzerland, you can paraglide without a helmet. There is no law saying that you have to wear a helmet for, for paragliding. Um, in Switzerland, you can go pretty much up to any mountain and take off with a paraglider. Nobody cares, you know. Um, so the Swiss public, base jumping is a topic which creates a lot of emotions. And I think that's the only reason why it's getting picked up in the media so often. Um, nowadays, not so much anymore. But when I started jumping nine years ago, every fatality was commented quite a lot in Swiss media. Nowadays, maybe it gets mentioned, but it's not that of a big thing anymore. You know, it. I think base jumping arrived in Switzerland and people got used to it. But still, as I said, it creates emotion. So I don't think you can say, uh, I don't really care. It's either I hate, I, I don't understand those lunatics, what they do and why they do it, or you think it's actually quite cool what they're doing because when I was a kid, I was dreaming about flying as well. But in between, there is not much. Oh, what do well, you think? I kind of still want to uh, know about, you know, how uh, the base jumpers themselves view the association. Uh, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I, oh, I understand sorry, sorry. the, yeah, yeah the I culture, uh, seeing the sport that way. And, um, I, I, I bet that like the association has been a lot, like, uh, a large proponent of changing that view of base jumpers from lunatics to, you know, we're actually, you know, just recreationalists like everybody else. We just do a, a very risky sport, you know, but again, like in the United States, there's no one to talk to. Right. So like somebody goes in and then all of a sudden, you know, the people on the news are like their buddies who don't have media training, who have no idea what they're talking about, you know, like, and then all of a sudden, you know, we get painted as, as lunatics, you know, like, how are you going to like make a, a solid national statement going through like this grief process, having just lost your friend versus like, you just saying like, all right, well, you know, the Swiss Base Association put out, you know, a, a manicured statement that everyone could like read and and thus changed like the perspectives of many people to allow uh, for increased and continued access. So like, I'm, I'm wondering, like, can you solve this problem for us of, of viewing associations as evil? Like how do base jumpers view the SBA and what are some of the things that you've noticed while working for the SBA that kind of make these fears of associations like irrelevant? So before I misunderstood the question and, and I'm not sure if I understood it well, do you are you asking about Swiss, about base jumpers what what they think yeah. about the Swiss base? Yeah, in general, because like every time every time associations get brought up uh, in the United States, especially when it comes to base jumping, everyone just like no, we don't want that. That's going to hamper our freedoms. We don't want people telling us what to do or blah blah blah, mm. right? And the result is that we have less agency, like you know, access decreases and we're painted as, as lunatics more often and, uh, you know, on and on. So like we actually are kind of shooting ourselves in the foot for no reason. And so like, I'm, I'm wondering, like, do you have yeah. anything to yeah. say to like gotcha. those people who are afraid of associations? You're the president of this association that like works really well. Like, can you, can you give us something to, uh, yeah, it's, 
it's it's a good it's, it's a good question because um I think the Swiss Bass Association is getting more support from foreign jumpers than from the Swiss bass jumping community itself. Obviously, the Swiss bass jumpers they have an interest in keeping all the sites open, right? Because we live there. It's also one of the reasons why I love being in the SBA because I want to keep jumping. I love bass jumping and somebody has to do it and I like doing it and I want to keep jumping so somebody has to do it so I, I'm going to do it. Now, a lot of Swiss bass jumpers, for example, they're not paying for the landing card. And that's interesting because they jump the most, right? So you would expect them to to re register every year and pay the 40 bucks because they use the landing fields the most. But the locals, they're like, yeah, but you know, I live here. This is mine. And interestingly, the Italians, the Italian Bass Association has exactly the same issue. The, when, when they came up with asking for money for, for going up to Brento for the Italian Bass Association, the, it was the Italians who who criticized them the most, the local jumpers. And in Switzerland, it's a little bit similar. But when it when it comes to fatalities, we we don't take we don't give any statements. We just refer to the police statement and and that's it. So so um because you, you were mentioning something about fatalities, so we don't deal with that in general. And about the support from jumpers, I think I think we live from foreign jumpers more and more foreign jumpers are buying the essentially buying the landing cards than the Swiss Maybe I jumpers. could ask okay. a, a specific question to, to piggyback on that. And this is maybe the more uncomfortable side of being part of an association, and that's the policing. Because these rules are put into place to keep base jumping open. But sometimes, you know, people either out of ignorance or just not giving a fuck will break the rules. And then that puts a lot of pressure on you to enforce these rules. What I've noticed, um, you know, in person and reading things online is that you have a lot of support for enforcing these. You know, it, people aren't necessarily getting tarred and feathered, but... You know, we have stories of people's gears getting gear getting snipped, and uh, uh, crowds of people, uh, you know, enforcing these rules. So I think that you're in a in a unique position where you have a lot of moral support. Uh, but I'd like to hear some details about this, uh, about you know, the actual act of enforcing these rules. Yeah. Let's take an example. Um, we had, was it two years ago, two paragliders, local paragliders from Le Diablere. They complained to the authorities saying that one day a wingsuit pilot is going to kill a paraglider because they're doing flybys all the time and they're really scared for their lives and Cé Rouge should get closed for base jumping. And, and that became quite a big thing. So... Um, me, Geraldine Fasnacht, and Simon Fasnacht, we went to Bern to the Federal Office of Civil Aviation for a meeting with those two paragliders and we sat down and we tried to fix stuff. Then um, 
So the Federal Office of Civil Aviation, they only step in when there is a, when there is a complaint from someone. They actually want us to self-regulate, but if there is a complaint, they have to sit down with us and then we find a solution together. So we sat down and those two pilots, they've, they've been quite aggressive and they didn't want to listen. They just wanted to ban base jumping, period. And then after a long, long, long discussion, we agreed on putting up an exit board, informing all the jumpers, um, explaining them why we have to establish a few rules. And then after I did that, one Swiss jumper, he texted me, he said, how stupid, you know, why now you made, you advert, you're advertising the jump now. It was kind of our jump. And now that it's public, more and more people are going to come to see Rouge and then, and then we're going to have more accidents there. And then maybe one day it's going to get close. So why don't, why don't you just fuck up, uh, shut up. And I, and I got, I got pretty sad because that's my job, right? When the Federal Office of Civil Aviation calls me in and they ask me to establish a rule so we can guarantee the future of the site, then I have to do it, you know? I, can, I cannot listen to some local jumpers who think Cerouge is still a secret spot because it isn't, <laughs> Absolutely you know? not. It became quite a popular... You know, every jump where you can go up by cable car and, and you're at the exit point within 10 minutes, it's going to get popular at some point, you know? Yeah, that's like uh, Titlis used to be a hidden gem that only locals knew about. And, you know, look at that now. Kitchen even, you know, this was like a, everything was a secret. But yeah, uh, yeah. I think that those days are behind us. And uh, the idea of... yeah. Yeah, you know, keeping these jumps uh, shrouded in secrecy so that they can be protected for locals is uh, it's a fool's errand because it's just that information is out. The inform the in you know the internet is too strong. People are posting uh, Instagram stories the the second they're there, and you know we just it just feels too good to show people a new exit point too. You know, I mean, you feel like you're the man, and you just yeah. see how amazing you know being able to recreate that first time being there, and uh, you know being able to to shepherd someone to an amazing place like that. It just feels too good, and um, you know, and and the people who are complaining to you are just as guilty of, of that as well. And, uh, so, so in, uh, you know, very politely fuck off. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's sometimes it's not easy. Um, you, you, you're right. Establishing nobody likes rules, you know, especially base jumpers. We're looking for freedom. We want to be in the mountains. We don't want to, we want we we don't want any rules to to you know like to to strap us down. We we want to be free. And then the Swiss Base Association comes and says, "Well, you can jump here, but please do this, do that." I can understand that this creates for a few people negative emotions, but you know, as you said, social media, internet, people are sharing everything. You, you can find almost every exit point on a database and the information is out there. You know, it's, it's, there, is, there are almost no secret spots anymore. Once it's on, on the internet, then, yeah, then the dam is Yeah, broken. what it feels like is that uh, jumpers are kind of reeling against the progress that they've really, you know, actually caused. 
you know, and uh, everyone wants to go back to a time where, you know, you can just travel around and no one really knows what you're doing. And it's a secret sport. And like, you're these few people that are doing this really cool thing, but like, that's just not the case. And so like, as we've scaled the sport, so do we also need to like add some structure to like how we are, you know, how we come together as a community, because to be quite honest, it seems like we do very poorly at coming together as a community when it comes to like administrative tasks. No one wants to do the work. Everyone wants to just have fun. And so like, you know, if you've ever told somebody about an exit, if you've ever shared the sport on social media, if you've ever done anything like that, you are contributing to the necessity of us adding structure to it, or like we're going to lose all of the things that we've, you know, grown accustomed to. So like, that's, that's kind of what it feels like to me as you guys are talking about, you know, the localism, because that's really what it is here. Like it's, uh, you know, the Americans, most of the United States, like we don't really care about paying into the SBA, but no one wants an association in the United States, even though our country has like started to (laughs) really go downhill when it comes to base jumping access. You know, at the end it's, it's, um, it's, always easy to criticize and it's not so easy to come up with smart solutions for complex problems um when i got into the sba when i oh let's say when i started jumping in 2013 i knew there was an association i i saw that there was an a4 sheet in the cable car station with a lot of rules it said don't pass the river in free fall when you jump from low ultimate for example and it was like a black and white sheet and was like, yeah, but that's what we're all trying to do. We all want to pass the river in free fall, you know? Why why the rule? You know, it didn't make sense. So, and I also didn't know who was behind the Swiss Base Association, what they were doing. And I bought my landing card, but I, I didn't really know anything. And then when I became a board member, my goal was to to break down the rules, make them very simple, you know, um, make it, make some, make it easy to understand. You, if you establish a rule, you also have to explain why this rule is important. Otherwise people will not accept it. I love it. that statement. That is something yeah, that I think is a huge fear of ours in the United States, because we look at the USPA that just has a, a literal book, like a thick book of rules and very little education, very re- little explanation. And so you end up overtasking your, overtasking your brain with a bunch of like these inane rules that you don't really know why you're following them. And like, as the sport progresses and grows, like there's little, like very much less reason to follow those rules anymore, you know? And so like, I love hearing you say that transparency is where you're going because yes, like if you understand why a rule is made, then it's a lot easier to adhere to it because it makes sense. And then it's not a philosophical debate over like, don't tell me what to do, but a philosophical debate over why is that right when why is that wrong? Right? And if, if we continue to maintain flexibility there, yeah. like perhaps like the whys change and so do the rules. And I, I also want people to know what they're what they're spending money for you know so when 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 um i became the president i started to publish the numbers every year i don't know if you saw the posts so usually in january 
I just put all the numbers together and then it says 2021 in numbers, a year in numbers. And I just want to know, I want, I want to um, make people aware of how much money we're spending for what we're spending that money, because I think people have a right to know if you're spending those 40 bucks, even if it's not a lot, but still, I want people to know what they what this uh, what they uh, spent money for. I I want them to know that twenty five went to the farmers, and what I did with the rest of the money, what we did as association with the money. Yeah, no rule is there for frivolous reasons. I, I got a, a question and a statement for you. Just because we we're talking about Save Rouge and it's one of my favorite sites, can you talk about the importance of the months? that we don't jump there and the kind of impact they can have on that site? Uh, which jump, sorry? Say Rouge. I uh, say Rouge, yeah. Um, so at Say Rouge, we just have, so um, those paragliding pilots, they they complained um, about flybys. So apparently some, some wingsuit pilots flew a little bit too close by paragliders and some people got scared. Um, and that's also a thing, right? When... Maybe you understand when you do both, when you do paragliding and base jumping. It's a lot of fun to fly by a paraglider, but it's no fun at all <laughs> when, you, when you're flying with a paraglider and you hear a sound. And even if you jump yourself, you know it's a base jumper, but you don't really know where it's coming from. And then all of a sudden you see and somebody passes by with a hundred 180 k's an hour. It's not, That's no fun at it's all. It's not. It's very I'm an active paraglider as well. And uh, man, it's it's not fun. <laughs> exactly what you said is right. And also paragliders, yeah. And also paragliders, they, they don't understand that we can, or most of us, we can steer very precisely. You know, we can even go through targets. And, and for them, they don't know how well we can steer. And then they think, wow, I almost got killed. So we should never do a flyby on a paraglider unintentionally, you know, or without saying. But bro, but bro, didn't you see me rip that paraglider? um, I ripped him so hard, bro. And like, (laughs) that was like the time of his life. Like he had no idea that like life could be so awesome until I like screamed by him. And dude, he's just a fucking loser that's hanging in the air. So like, fuck him. (laughs) Yeah. Dude. I've. I've actually had so this conversation now, where they asked me if we can turn. <laughs> and like I said, yeah, well, actually, yeah. You know, uh, my wife actually hit a, a sandwich bag with her hand on purpose once, you know, so, and they're like, wait, what? The f- fastest flight. Not going. anymore, but, um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So now Sir Rouge has an exit board as well. When you, when you get down to the exit point, when you're almost there, it's on a rock there. And there are zones where you should just watch out for paragliders. That's all you have to do. Just watch out for paragliders and and don't go too deep into the canyons without thinking about paragliders who could be on the other side. I mean, usually you see them. Just watch out for paragliders. Don't do any flybys on them. And at the moment, we have a baby eagle at Rouge, which is amazing and it's probably there because of um, the pandemic the wildlife had time to you know to uh, breathe a little bit during corona and the, um, the park ranger he informed us that the baby eagle is really there 
and we should not jump Sirouge until mid of July. So I, I thought I have this wrong then because I thought that that time of year was always uh, dedicated as a reserve for the preservation of these eagles. Uh, I guess I get, have that wrong. Like you shouldn't be jumping Sirouge in the springtime until July. Now you make me. <laughs> now you make me nervous. Yeah, I'm we better check uh, for you. call the Spain, the the French speaking uh, version. We have we have to call Geraldine. Uh, no, um, no, that's all. Uh, it says, "Don't do any flybys and paraglides." <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, that, no okay, that's really cool. that's that's all. That's all. all. Right. Watch and then out this for this year specifically. Yeah, yeah. But Sirouge has, yeah. This year specifically, we have the baby eagle, and we want it to have a nice first flight. Um, the problem is also we have the same issue at Black Monk in Lauterbrunnen. There is also a baby eagle there, and the baby eagles they start flying usually. So they they get born mid of April. And then they do their first flight sometime in July. But to be safe, we say August. So in, in Lauterbrunn, we say, please don't jump the Black Monk until mid of August. Now the park ranger at Le Diablerie, he's a little bit more open-minded. He says mid-July. He thinks that the bird has done its, its first flight by then. And then he he's going to call us. And then I'm going to make a post and tell people that they can go to Sirush <laughs> and jump. Wonderful. Looking forward to it. So another request here is uh, the technical data that you guys are offering. And uh, while I love everything that you're doing and uh, your website is fantastic, uh, the technical data that's offered is a little bit archaic. You know, as our sport is evolving, we're speaking more and more about difficulty of jumps in terms of X and Y axis to create a visual arc with laser measurements. And as it stands, you're some of these more technical exit points on the Swiss Base Association uh, website are just pure vertical lines. And that's just really not enough uh, to, 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 to share information about uh, an exit point. So maybe we could, uh, I'll do my best to help you with any measurements that I might have for, uh, but I, I know that a lot of jumpers out there have accurate jump numbers, but it would be great if you could, your website could actually show that. That's, um, that's a very good point. We have only laser data for uh, Haila Moose um, on the website. Uh, some jumpers also asked us, why don't you put numbers on the exit boards? And we have discussed that in our board meetings. And the reason is we don't want to be responsible for false data, wrong information. And also we want to put only the very basic data information on the exit boards. Um, because the exit boards are mostly addressing new jumpers, uh, two-piece trackers, you know, people who come to the valley for the first jumps and and we have, like on ski pistes in Switzerland, we have the blue, red, and black. So blue is easy, red is, yeah, is intermediate, and black would be difficult. And also that's very subjective, right? That's, that's what right. we think, yeah, how difficult the jump is. And, and every person has to decide for him or herself. Um, we want to help a little bit. And I think it's a good idea to, to add more 
information, especially for the more technical jumps. I agree. But uh, if we put that on the website, um, I have to discuss that with my with my friends in the board. Um, we we don't want any problems if uh, things go okay. wrong. You know. Fair enough. It sounds like you guys haven't just done it, not included it out of ignorance, but have actually have some reason behind it. So fair enough. And uh, if people are out there jumping these exit points for the first time, they should have their laser anyway. Because just because it's opened and established, it's still a new jump for you. And uh, yeah, we should all be having our laser with us, right? Yeah. So going on from here, you know, Matt and I were talking about um, some of the things that we wanted to ask you about. And uh, one of the things is, and we touched on it really lightly earlier, was the difference in cultures. Because you're somebody who's spent quite a lot of time in the mountains participating in a wide variety of sports and um, paragliding, base jumping, climbing and skiing and all this kind of awesome stuff there. And you've also been in a position of uh, really good place to observe these different sports do our base jumpers different you know do a lot of times people come into town and and think that this, our activity is is you know superhuman and we're operating on you know margins that no other sport operates and we're special athletes uh how, how what's your opinion of that and yeah um Maybe Swiss base jumpers are a little bit different from, from I don't know, from other nationalities because I think for many Swiss base jumpers, base jumping is just one of the sports they do. Um, they usually don't define themselves as base jumpers. You know, it's yeah, they, they do a lot of things. They uh, I I don't do rock climbing because it scares <laughs> me, but um, but I I like paragliding and I like kite surfing and and other things and. And base jumping makes me really happy and I really, really like it. But it's, I can also live without it for a while. You know, I don't have to do it every day. And I think that's the case for, for um, most um, Swiss base jumpers. I, since I'm in the sports, uh, I met a lot of different personalities in, in base. And usually it's quite strong personalities. Um, I think you have to dedicate yourself to get into the sports, you have to dedicate time and money and you really have to want to do it. Otherwise, you might pass, you know. you If you're not 100% confident that you want to do it, then you might give it up quite early. So it's, I think, base jumpers in general are quite have quite strong personalities, but you meet a huge variety of people, right? It, it can be doctors, it can be artists, it can be people not doing anything you know they just live from dad's money or whatever it's interesting you you meet a lot of interesting people there are definitely this is definitely a crazy bunch huh yeah with from all walks of life well that's a i think a good note to end on um really thank you very much for taking the time to uh, come on the podcast and explain some uh details about uh, european base jumping and uh, give us some insights into the uh, culture as well as the association. Yeah, maybe maybe I can share, a, um, maybe I can tell you a little bit about the next projects we have, if I can use that opportunity. Of course. Yeah, please. Yeah, please. That would be great. So, um, as you know, we in 
we also we got criticized quite a bit for uh, building some platforms in Lauterbrunnen. Um, we did um, a little platform at High Nose. That was the first one because the erosion was so bad that it was not comfortable anymore to jump there. And then many old school jumpers said, yeah, that's all wrong. You know, you, why are you building platforms? Every base jumper should be able to jump from a rock. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's nice when you can jump from a rock. I, I prefer rocks as well. But many people come to the valley to practice and they're doing maybe the first two-piece tracks there. And or Well, maybe they shouldn't, but many beginners come and they should have a solid, good place to push from, you know? Yeah, but that wasn't even a rock. That was so, like a, an eroding root that had like ground yeah. underneath <laughs> it that was slipping away and some grass. It was like... It was pretty like, and if yeah. you wanted to do multiple people off of that at the same time, like it was, it was kind of sketchy to to get in good footing. <laughs> Abs- absolutely, yeah. No, I, it changed so much from when I start from when I started to now. I mean, now it's a really nice place, and I think most people appreciate it. Then um, we replaced the wooden platform and uh, at Via Ferrata and made a made a steel one um, that was quite a mission quite an adventure but that's gonna stay there for a while and then we also have this new platform at yellow ocean so hopefully all the beginners have a perfect first jump there and so the next project is building a little something at sputnik in uh, wallenstadt yeah okay because uh, you might remember the exit of uh, n- not exit of uh, roberta yeah, back in the days so when it's a uh, when it's slippery there, it's not a comfortable place to be. Yeah, as soon, a little bit of uh, humidity or rain, snow or anything, and that place is deadly. And, you know, thankfully, Roberta yeah, has those free yeah. fly skills and, and was able to, to keep her head on straight. Yeah. But it is whew, absolutely scary video. So, so it's not going to be a, a huge platform or whatever. It's, it's going to be something, something small. Just something that you can have a comfortable stand there and and push push nicely, maybe in a two-way or something. Yeah, you know, I, I understand the argument of, of uh, wanting to keep it natural and, and not making it uh, more accessible to people that shouldn't necessarily be there. But what I like, the way that I approach it is that I want my friends and my family, you know, who are jumping to have the safest experience possible. And everybody else is just sort of like, that's extra, you know, like I want the wider community to be safer too, but who I'm most concerned about is my immediate friends and family, right? And so when they have sure footing guaranteed by uh, an established built-in structure, I'm good with that. That's where I stand, you know, like, uh, so I understand there's a lot of really like uh, strong opinions out there, but that's just my two cents. Yeah, I mean, we're not going up to Eiger South to build a platform <laughs> there, you know. Lauterbrunnen <laughs> is a special place, you know, and um, many people go there and jump there and also for practicing. And I, I don't see I don't see anything wrong with having a little platform there. Yeah, you know, we were going to close it out, but there's just like th- yeah. another thing that I, I would really like you to approach to is this uh, debate that seems to be uh, ongoing forever. And it's the when the ramp comes down from high ultimate, and and so oh, where are yeah. we with that? And uh, what is the stance from the SBA? 
<laughs> yeah, that's also a question we we get every year. So um, by Swiss law, we cannot leave any construction on the mountain longer than for three months. Ah, interesting. So, yeah, so, yeah. And usually, just before the first snow comes, I'm... I, I did that with my friend Renee, who passed away end of March, and and I'm still recovering from his death. Uh, it really messed me up, and he was always there to help me building up the ramp and taking it down. So we would all we we all always did that before the first snowfall, end of October, beginning of November, and then we usually leave the ramp until the paragliders start flying along the wall again, so when there is no ice anymore. And that's usually sometime in April. So that's much longer than three months, but if we don't get any complaints from anybody, then we just leave it there. Also, a question we get every year, when people go there and do the first jump, they often say, is the ramp shorter than last year? Because the cliff came so close. <laughs> <laughs> So many times. <laughs> and it just comes every year. And no, the ramp is not shorter because it has always the same length and all the anchor points are always at the same place. The only thing we can adjust is the is the the angle of the ramp, right. that's all. All the rest is set. Yeah. And also one question that comes every year, why don't you make it longer? <laughs> Um, because we don't want to. No, because because um, it was uh, Martin Schumann, ex-base jumper and mountain guide. He was also yeah. involved uh, in the Swiss Base Association. And he stole that stuff from some construction site and, and he paid for the <laughs> helicopter to fly it over. And, oh, wow. we, and he also set all the anchor points. And to build a bigger one, we would have to make a brand new one and we don't want that. So we just leave it the way it is. I love how people say that, like, why don't you do this? And you're like, wait, I'm sorry. I thought we were, this was a, a sport of personal responsibility. Are, are you offering, did you come at me and say, can I help you make a better one? Or did you just say, why don't I do something for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, usually yeah. those are the yeah. same people that are like reeling against associations like no i hate yeah. associations but also why don't you do more for me and you're like what? <laughs> 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 pick a lane yeah yeah, uh. yeah it's, uh, you know yeah not so funny but um no, i didn't find it funny when we built a new platform for via ferrata for the first time in my life, I had a sleepless night because I sleep like a stone every night. I put my head on the pillow, I sleep. But the night before the platform got brought by the helicopter, by the chopper, I, I, I almost couldn't sleep because, because I was digging at Via Ferrata. I was digging the dirt for three days and I just didn't make it to the rock. There was so much mud and so much soil that I just couldn't get to the rock. And it was only late afternoon, the day before the ramp came, that I made it to the rock. And I wasn't sure anymore if the leg was long enough to to oh, drill wow. some holes into it. You know? And then I had friends coming over from eastern Switzerland. They traveled four hours by car, professional industrial climbers, 
they drove all the way from there just to help me and I wasn't sure if it's going to fit. And then the chopper came and then bop, 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 they, they dropped the platform and it was 700 kg, so it was incredibly heavy. And pretty much the way they left it on Via Ferrata, that's the way that's the way it is now. So we couldn't adjust the angle anymore. It was just, it just it lowered the platform. It got into its place. We drilled the holes and done. And I was so happy that it was over that it that it fit. I was just <laughs> I was just thankful that everything worked out. So I go down. Uh, a jumper who lives in Lauterbrunnen, he goes up, he jumps, and I say, hey, what do you think? Yeah, It's quite amazing, the new platform, isn't it? And he said, well, you know what? I think it has a little angle to the right side. It's, 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 <laughs> it has, I think it has maybe five <laughs> degrees to the right or something. And then he walked away. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, we, no. spent, we spent so much time to organize everything and to build everything and the, oh, it was oh, it's like that person horrible. that walks into your van build and like you know like what do you think and they're like well uh that thing's not quite level and you're like yeah exactly yeah. 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 <laughs> oh my god yeah. so okay um yeah before we close out again uh we were, uh, you know, you, you went off on some, um, uh, some stuff that was for the future of the association. And, and I recognize now that we've been talking a lot about the association, but I also want to open up before we close the opportunity for you to say something personal to the larger community. Um, anything that you'd like to share, uh, before we, um, you know, move on. I, I would like to thank all my friends in, in the board of the Swiss Base Association, because sometimes people think it's just me, but uh, I, I can only do my my job because I have so much people helping me. Um, the core work is actually the, um, the local contacts. We have Geraldine Fasnacht as a local contact in the French-speaking part of Switzerland, together with her husband, Simon Wanderler, Simon Fasnacht. Then we have the vice president, uh, Matthias Wies, who some people know from Nuit de l'Eglise, He's helping me with all the finances and he's he's um, the right side of, of the brain of the Swiss Space Association. Um, and then we have we have uh, Arno Weber. He's also a graphic designer and he's going to celebrate his 20th anniversary in base this year. So uh, congratulations to that. Wow. He's always there for me when I need help to create something, you know, a poster or a, a flyer or whatever, an exit board. He's always there. I can always go to his place. We we drink coffee, listen to electronic music and do that stuff together. And then we have Dennis, Dennis Fauro. He's a local contact in Glados. Amazing guy, really good wingsuit pilot. Then we have Adrian who built the website. So thank you guys for all your support. It's really nice having having you. And then I want to thank all the jumpers who respect the few rules we have. I want to thank all the people who buy the landing card every year, who sign up every year. Everybody who sends me once in a while a message saying, hey, thanks for your work. I really appreciate it. That really makes my day. And if you have any questions or if you have anything to make better, if you have any ideas, please write me an email. I'm not so active on social media. So 
If I don't answer on Messenger or on Instagram, I apologize. But if, if you send me an email, I'm always reading emails and I'm going to send you an answer. I promise. Big shout out to everybody who's part of the SBA. Marcel, thank you for a super interesting oh, conversation. Oh, sorry, Lo, I forgot Matt. Oh, Matt, he would be so angry. Matt, local contact in Wallenstadt. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Matt, Matt, is, uh, he's, Matt Sieber, he's doing such a great job there. He's in touch with the paragliding school. He's in touch with the cable car providers, all the farmers. Um, the Wallenstadt farmers are getting money from the SBA as well. And he's going to help building that little platform at Sputnik. And he's an adorable person. And I'm sure you know him personally. So I almost forgot him. He's going to he's gonna send me an angry message later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy. So yeah, thanks. Uh, big shout out to everybody who's part of the SBA. And thank you, Marcel, for a very interesting conversation and all the work that you do. And uh, look forward to seeing you in person soon. Uh, likewise. Thank you very much for the podcast. I, I loved every single episode. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for another episode. If you have any comments about what you've heard on the podcast or any topic suggestions for future episodes, please hit us up. Big shout out to Mark Stockwell, our sound engineer and co-producer for helping us on this project. Catch y'all next time and see you all on the exit point. Mm-hmm.